Well, hello there, lovely podcast people, and welcome to this week's installment of your favorite horror movie review podcast, Dead and Lovely, here with your good buddies, Uncle Ben, and who's that man on the other end of that Skype call? Hollywood Steve's Bradling. <laughs> Hollywood Steve. How you been doing out there in them Hollywood Hills, Steve? Oh boy. Uh pretty good. The the I had a birthday recently and for some reason the city of Los Angeles decided to have good weather for the past week, I guess as a gift. Oh wow. Yeah, it was really nice. That's good, man. I uh, you know, I was just recently right near the beach. I just got back from a week <laughs> beach vacation. Yeah. Out in old sunny, uh, sunny South Carolina, and I uh-huh. had myself a damn good old time. I think I figured out that basically, in my life, my my beach relaxation is proportional to my hard working that I do at home. Okay. Because like this is the laziest vacation I think I've ever fucking had. Like, <laughs> I ba- I barely even walked. Awesome. That's that's. The only way to vacation. Shit, I don't yeah. understand people who go on vacation and have like an itinerary and oh, shit dude. that they like, like hard plans on a vacation. What the hell? I know. Isn't that like what you're vacationing from? <laughs> I know. Hard dude. plans. That's totally my thing too. And it's like, I don't know. I have friends that, you know, whenever they go to the beach, it's like they really do kind of make plans and stuff. It's like, oh, this day we're going to go parasailing and this day we're going to go shopping and this day we're doing this and this day we're doing this. And I'm like... Fuck all of that, dude. I literally <laughs> just want to sit on the beach and fucking get drunk and listen to music and, like, read books. And that is basically all that I want to do. Hang out with Spuds McKenzie. Yeah, and the uh, the the, uh, the Hawaiian Tropics bikini team. Oh, yeah. Those are the best. I mean, if you're going to go on vacation, hang out with people from beer posters in the 80s. Yeah, they seem mm-hmm. like they have the best time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So at the beach, I did basically nothing then other than um, I listened through like Led Zeppelin's entire discography, which was a great okay. move. Good call, yeah. Um, short report on that. I think Physical Graffiti might be Led Zeppelin at their at the height of their powers. Okay, yeah. I that's, al- uh, that's an interesting choice, but I, I think I see where you're, what you're saying. I also think that In Through the Outdoor is not very good okay yeah i would agree with that (laughs) so we had a good time and the cool thing is is you know on our vacation usually what we do is we just sit on the beach all day and then we go out to a nice dinner and then a lot of times we'll go back to the condo and just like you know watch uh watch a movie or something like that as a as a family but over the past couple of years we've we've made the very smart move of bringing our our roku with us and hooking that into the wi-fi Like Good la- call. Last year at the beach, we used our, our Roku to finish up watching uh, Stranger Things in the, yeah. in the wee night hours, which was a great move. And this year, we used it and watched uh, the newest episodes of Game of Thrones while we were at the beach. Oh, awesome. I don't want to, like, <laughs> spoil the shit out of nah, Game of Thrones. Nah, let's not spoil here, it, but... But I'm just going to say that, like, this season has kicked so much ass, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I a lot of people uh, online are uh, upset at the breakneck speed, but um, you know, I I think one they don't have the time to draw it out anymore no. because they only have thirteen episodes left. I mean, now they only have seven, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
and we we need resolution on the stuff we've been waiting for resolution on the entire time so yep. you're gonna get you're gonna get some speedy narrative you're gonna get some seemingly uh people warping from place to place you're gonna get that yeah. whatever exactly and i've seen the same thing i've seen people complaining oh man it's just like it's going at the speed of any typical fucking hollywood movie blah 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 and i'm like this is called conclusion like <laughs> yeah we have been watching this show for uh -huh. what is it seven years now six years now seven yeah seven years now it's drawing to a conclusion let shit happen already yeah and don't worry about where chains come from yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly dude Yes, but hard hard home. They came. They came from hard home. Yeah, or the giants, there or you go. wherever. We've seen chains beyond the wall before. Yeah. I'm not gonna spoil why they have chains or who has them. Then last week's it. episode was just ridiculous. I'm really, really, really excited to see where it's going. And you know, yeah. it's like I'm, I'm very sad that the series, of course, is coming to an end. Um, next yeah. year, of course. But yeah. at the same time, it's like I'm so happy knowing that they are driving this car somewhere because I yeah. really do feel like like seasons one and two, I thought were so focused and so driven and amazing. Uh -huh. And honestly, once it hit season three, other than the Red Wedding, not really all that much stuff was happening. And then like seasons yeah. four and five there was a whole lot of feet shuffling going on where they were clearly just sort of like waiting for Martin to release another book and they weren't really sure where right. to take the characters. And I don't know. I thought there was a lot of time wasted in those seasons. So I'm really happy to see them picking up and moving it somewhere and knowing that even though it is coming to a close, they are taking it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't blame the showrunners for the fact that George R. R. Martin hasn't released his books. I mean, uh, HBO may have been more willing to give them 12 episodes for the last two seasons if they had the, the full-on material from right. George R. R. Martin. So, you know, if there's if you got a problem with the show, if you're like, oh, I'm a, I love the books, not the show, like, well, you know, the books ended. I mean, they're, they're, they're not... They're not going to come out before the end of the show. Yeah. So just enjoy the end of the show. Yeah. Have fun with it. And then when the books come out, you'll get something different that's not what you're expecting. Yeah, and it'll be great. Yeah, so I'm totally okay with that. So other than other than Game of Thrones, what have you been watching lately that was good, Steve? Oh, man. Uh, well, we uh, full disclosure to listeners, we've, we've been off, I guess, for... About two weeks. Yeah. I think, yeah, about two weeks we haven't recorded anything. So I've just... Um, I watched, uh, I've said before that I've never seen Saw, so my wife and I watched all of the Saw movies. Oh my god, all of them? Uh, all of them, in a row. They're all on Hulu, so, um, you know, let, let me tell you this, uh, watch them in a row, that way you won't be disillusioned into believing uh, that any one of them past the first one is, is really good. <laughs> <laughs> See, I watched the first one for the first time maybe only yeah. a year or so ago. Uh-huh. And I think that's one of those ones kind of like, it's kind of like watching Blair Witch Project, you know, a decade too yeah. late, where it's just like, okay, you've really just missed the relevance point of it. Right, right. Because I watched the first Saw maybe a year or so ago, and I was just like, okay, this is whatever. It looks really cheap. and Well, it yeah. was really cheaply made stuff. Yeah. I didn't really get 
I, I honestly didn't get into it very much, and I think I started the second one and like fell asleep and never finished it. So, are any of the other <laughs> ones worth watching? Um, honestly, no. But like, I I would say that the first one is the best. I don't think they're horror movies; they're thrillers. That's a better they're, way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're closer to seven than they are to to a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um. The it, it gets tedious. The more they go, there's there's a lot of focus on Jigsaw, and then the B story is the people in you know escaping all these traps, etc. Mm-hmm. And they don't really in some of the sequels they don't even really mesh together. They don't have anything to do with one another. So it's like you're watching two separate movies at the same time. Mm. Um, I think the second one was actually uh, of the sequels. The second's the best. Okay, but all they're they're just not good. They're really just not good. Right on. Um, man. I also watched all of the Final Destination movies. All of them. <laughs> How many is that? Uh, there are five of them. You have truly been punishing yourself this week, Steve. I well, you know what? Here's here's what it was. Um, I really. You know how you sit down sometimes and it's like, what are we going to (laughs) watch? It's nice when you have like a TV show or something you can just throw on that maybe, you know, you don't have to pay all the attention to. Right. Well, Saw and the Final Destination movies are like that. You throw them on. You don't pay a ton of attention to them. You don't have to think about what movie you're going to watch next because there's another sequel. But... Uh, if you are paying attention, it's really, really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of our one of our fans on our Facebook group or somebody suggested that. I think mm-hmm. he said Final Destination Five was pretty good. Right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I would I would rank them in this order. I, I would go three. I think three is the best. Okay. Three is the one that where they don't waste a whole lot of time trying to explain why it's happening, which is where they get into, you know real sticky situation in the first one where they keep trying to explain it and by explaining it it's making it happen Mm -hmm. in the third one they just sort of like trust that the audience gets it they escape death they're supposed to die now um and it has mary elizabeth winstead who i absolutely love and is an amazing actress and is 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 really good in it like Mm -hmm. she's genuinely good in the movie five is good it's not great five is is the most cg of all of them which I didn't like, but the story is is not overly complicated. Four's fine. Uh, two has the best opening sequence. Somebody told me the opening sequence of two was sick. It's insane. It will make you not want to drive a car for the rest of your life. Wow. It, it, it's really like, uh, like frightening. Um, and then one. One is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you told me that even going back on it, that... Could we revise our final destination final destination episode? I think that you said that you would give it a zero. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's so bad. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. And and you know what? Like two two actually was a it was like an improvement. Except two was obviously written so fast that they focused on making that opening sequence really awesome but then it was like they just recorded some of their production meetings and turned it into the script because there's a lot of times where it's like they're talking like okay now what's going on all right let's try to explain it well maybe that works i guess i don't know 
Like, there's like a whole lot of talk where it's like, obviously, this is what the producers were saying to one another, and somebody was like, just write that shit down and have them say it. Maybe we bring Candyman into it. I don't know. <laughs> Tony Todd's awesome, but like, yeah, there, there's, there's nothing in those movies worthwhile. Like, seriously, though, you can just watch three and you you get the whole series. You don't have to know anything that happened huh. in the beginning. Like three, you can just fall right into it. It's a, a quick, okay, teen sort of like scream movie, and hey, it's it's fine. Right on. Good I need kills. to watch them. I need to watch them. Hey, maybe <laughs> I, I, I don't. Mean, don't. Yeah, don't run out to do it. <laughs> <laughs> just let them come to me, right? Yeah, yeah. If if I don't know if like somebody is. I don't know, uh, making you a meal, and they're like, I'm going to throw on Final Destination. Don't yell at them. Just be like, oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> well, you know, Steve, I uh, it was recently revealed to my to my wife, uh, wife, who is a listener of our program. Yeah, she's the best. She's the best listener of the program that we mm-hmm. create here. She's number one. Mm-hmm. She's I up think there. that it was maybe on either the Halloween episode or one of the other ones where I mentioned that I hadn't seen Tremors. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I, I remember I had watched Tremors around then. And that that is apparently like a movie that was one of my wife's like favorite flicks ever when she was a kid. Yeah. Like she said it's that great. they rented it so many times that eventually like her mom <laughs> just bought the tape just so they could quit renting it. So apparently she watched the fuck out of this since she was a kid. And I had never I had never seen it before. So actually tonight, uh, just a minute before we started recording, we just watched Tremors. For the, well, for awesome. me for the first time, for her for the millionth time. What did you think of it? I thought that that was just... That's just a fun time. That is it just is. like... That is a quality let's go to the video store and rent this kind of movie. I can't really think of any modern uh, equivalent of it, you know? No, I can't either. Yeah, it's it's so weird because it's just fun. Like, it's fun. Uh, it's scary-ish. Not really. I mean, the, they're like some surprises. The the trimmers themselves, the worms, they, they look cool. Yeah. It's... It's a fun game, a fun, uh, fun time. Like it's, it's, it's nice to just see people enjoying themselves in a horror movie. Yeah, the uh, the special effects are cool. Again, all practical, obviously. So there's a lot of giant rubber puppets and stuff like that that I really enjoyed. Uh, Reba McIntyre, I think, looks older in that movie than she does now, which is strange. <sighs> Reba yeah. might be Benjamin Button. She could be Benjamin Buttoning us, yes. Yeah, but I I think uh, 90s fashion and 90s uh, women's hairstyles made everyone look 15 years older than they were. That's a good point. That's a very quality point. I think that you're right. The moment you get a perm, you are 50. Like, it doesn't matter (laughs) what age you are. You're 50. (laughs) I enjoyed it, though. I want to watch the other ones and see if they're any good. Um, But that first one was just some that was some good, clean movie fun it was corny but it wasn't completely silly you know it still took Uh itself like a little bit seriously but not too bad so yeah yeah, i definitely enjoyed myself a a trimmer you know another cool thing that i happened to see today was a total eclipse not of the heart but of the sun 
Total eclipse of the sun. So usually whenever we record this, because uh, this will be coming out sometime, I think in September, right? Yeah. Um, we usually record this podcast a couple weeks in advance. So today was um, August, what was it, 21st? The day of yeah. the great American eclipse where we had that <laughs> uh, complete solar eclipse, which was pretty rad, man. Did you get to see any of it from where you were at in sunny California? Yeah, we had a partial eclipse. Uh, my wife and I went out, checked it out. Um, we didn't buy the the eclipse glasses. Uh, we used one of those camera obscura things that you mm-hmm. can make with a cereal box. Pro move. Uh, yeah, but I mean, we should have. Much like a uh, great leader, just stared right into it. Jesus Christ! I just <laughs> saw that before we signed on. Fucking Trump stared at the fucking sun for like a minute. Uh, yeah, and Julian Assange uh, also said that, uh, you know, you don't need any special glasses, just stare right into it. That's uh, only semi-true. For the brief second that the sun is completely covered by the moon, you could look up briefly without any eye covering yeah. and not damage your eyes. But don't go looking. Listen, don't look into the sun. Have you not seen Pi? Darren Aronofsky <laughs> taught us. Don't look into the damn sun. It was, uh, we got a, ourselves a really good view here in East Tennessee, man. We were able just to yeah. go and sit out on our front yard there. And uh, we did have the special stunner yeah. shade. So we looked through awesome. those at it and watched the whole thing. It was pretty damn cool. It really, it, it really interested me in that the, the temperature dropped probably about 15 degrees or so. Yeah, I heard that's really cool. Like, I, we didn't get that same effect. I don't think, um, but it was, yeah, like I've seen pictures of, of, you know, in, in the path of the actual eclipse is just like so dark. That's so cool. Yeah. Like, I, I wish, I wish I got to see that, but you know, it was kind of different from what I was expecting. Like I really expected for it to be like completely like dark, like, you know, yeah, like nighttime during the day dark, but it was, that would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, the the light took on a really odd quality. Like, well, I'm sure you remember from growing up here in East Tennessee, like, any time yeah. that there's, like, tornado weather and, like, this... Oh, man. You know, like, in the yeah. middle of the day and the sky will be, like, green and the light mm-hmm. just has this weirdly filtered kind of look about it. Yeah, I really like that. It's actually. really That's, neat, yeah. Yeah. Like, the light looked kind of like that, only it was weirder because the sky was blue and it was otherwise, you know, a bright, clear day. But the the light just had this really weird, filtered look. Um, it was really, really interesting. It was very, very cool. So I'm definitely glad that I got to be in a good location for that. Pretty cool event. I wonder how many people were, uh, they thought like, oh, this would be the exact right time to shoot that that one shot we need for our horror movie about the eclipse dude i wondered about that too <laughs> and, and they were just like they were like action fuck the battery's dead <laughs> <laughs> i just hope that we get like a really um a really sick like deont word video that features yeah. it or something <laughs> uh i was really tempted all day to just be watching house of the devil but we watched that not too long ago to get in the in the eclipse sort of spirit of things you know yeah yeah uh, that's i mean i i hope no one was sacrificing anything during the eclipse but if they were i hope it was for uh, a good cause yeah a good cause march of dimes listen 
if you're out there sacrificing babies, I hope it was for March of Dimes. <laughs> I don't know how it's supposed to benefit them, but I hope that's what it was for. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Steve, the the topic of our podcast this week is a little talky flick mm-hmm. that came out as a made-for-TV two-part series. Right. When we were but kinder children. Mm-hmm. Written, Little ones. Written by Stefan King. Uh-huh. That's Stephen King when he steps into Steve Urkel's machine that turns him into <laughs> Stefan Urkel. Oh, my God. What if Stephen King totally had a Stefan King machine? Uh-huh. That'd be awesome. He Yo, steps out. Yeah, he's like what, that. What kind of book would he come out writing? Um, He'd do a full-on, like, Danielle Steele erotic novel. Fuck but, yeah. But it would be about uh, a writer in New England. Damn it, <laughs> Stephon King. He'd, he'd shed the glasses and stuff. He'd have some contact yeah. lenses. Yeah, he'd still kind of look like a mole, but like <laughs> he does look like a mole. He does. He looks like the mole in uh, the Winnie the Pooh cartoon. Oh, bless him. Yeah. <laughs> well, today we're going to be reviewing the classic two-part series, It. Which is, uh, it's kind of interesting because this is the first time that either of us have watched it before. We revealed that, I think on our Killer Clowns episode, that neither of us had ever seen It. Yeah, I've read the book. Have you read the book? I have not read the book. Okay, see, I'm really interested to do so, but actually while we were at the beach, I saw it on the shelf and then I realized it's about like a telephone book. Yeah, it's uh, like 1,200 pages long. It's gigantic. And I was like, and yeah. I'm not reading that. That's too much like work for my beach vacation. Yeah. This is this is like, this is full on Stephen King cocaine period where like he, he was just uh, doing the drugs and churning out work. And it, I mean, I read it in middle school, so I don't remember everything. I remember, mm-hmm. uh, I remember honestly though, thinking uh, in middle school that, I, I was impressive for having read a long book, but also thinking that like the the history and stuff the the context uh, provided should should get more of the spotlight. A lot of it is focused on you know the kids and mm-hmm. their uh, own struggles because this is about childhood and, and growing up and and all that sort of stuff. But right. like the real cool Lovecraftian element to Dairy Maine and and the Pennywise and, and what is going on in the background that we don't get fully explained in the miniseries um, is really interesting and, and really like a good horror, good like Lovecraftian horror. I want I definitely want to check it out. And one of the reasons that we're doing it at this particular time is because of course we have the remake coming out here uh, in theaters yeah. as this is being released. Now, are you excited to see this? Are you going to see this? And what do you think about it? Um, I, I do want to see it because I think, honestly, I mean, I think this could have been done well and it wasn't. So, uh, I, I think that the previews I've seen so far, they bring the darkness into it that is sort of missing from the miniseries. I think the kids seem like better actors. <laughs> The, right. Um, Yo, Seth Green ain't even in it, though. Yeah, they should have thrown Seth. Seth Green could be in it. I mean, why not? <laughs> like, 
he could have even maybe played one of the kids. The guy looks the same as he did. I was did. gonna say, dude, he is like, not aged at Like, he's taller all. now, but he looks the exact same. They should just have a minute, like, dwarf style, where he's just on his knees with, like, shoes <laughs> on his knees. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, it looks interesting, and I... The reading about it, reading that uh, Carrie Fukunaga was originally the supposed to be the writer of the script and mm. then they you know they went different with it i'm a little hesitant who is fukunaga F carrie fukunaga is the guy who directed every episode of uh the first season of true detective which oh is, shit yeah which is amazing oh and, yeah uh, so like thinking of him doing it he he wasn't from what i've read he wasn't obsessed with staying true to the novel which i think is something that needs to happen with it because the novel is it's too much there's too much in there and there's too much focus on uh you know okay let me just talk a little bit about stephen king and yeah. and i don't want to talk shit about him because first off stephen king is not only a prolific author but a very creative author and a very good author. He, he He's written some really good stuff. Oh, yeah. And I mean, really, you know, he laid down the foundation for very much of everything that we enjoy yeah. in horror movies, too. Yeah. But Stephen King also has uh, some writerly quirks mm -hmm. and tics that are not good. And I don't like them. Yeah. Uh, the, the, fa the fact that... The, almost everything he's ever written, the main character, at least one of the characters, is a writer. Um, that's that's just... I mean, they say write what you know, but, like, get some more experience if all you know is being a writer. Like, just go out in the world and learn something so the next time you write what you know, it's not the exact same thing you wrote before. Does he ever have any books so the main character is a cokehead? <laughs> he should! <laughs> He should. He has experience with that. Um, he here's just this is the thing that I always think that people have to address about Stephen King, and it's a quote yeah. from Stephen King, and I want to I want to get your opinion on it. Okay. This is from S Stephen King's book, Everything You Need to Know About Writing Successfully in Ten Minutes. He says, if you wrote something for which someone sent you a check, if you cashed the check and it didn't bounce, and if you then paid the light bill with the money, I consider you talented. I don't know about talented. Yeah, that's, well, that's the crux of what he's saying, right? That's where, that's, that's his statement. The talented part is his statement, and that's wrong. Yeah, I don't think so, because it's like, to me, I equate that, of course, in music terms myself, because it's like, I know yeah. that there's plenty of people out there that are paying yeah. their light bills using checks from their music that they, you know, sure. recorded or whatever, that are absolutely untalented. I would say if you're uh -huh. doing that, then you are, let's say, resourceful, or let's say sure. you are frugally or economically minded, but no, I would I would not say talented. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the thing. That's Stephen King's thing is uh, basically like, fuck it, ship it. Like, you know, he, he writes his manuscript, fuck it. Send it to the editor. They'll deal with it. I'm moving on to the next book. Like, he, in things where he has put more effort, more time into crafting things, they obviously come out better. That's just yeah. always true about 
any product. I mean, it's certainly true that uh, the anxiety of being a creative person can can force you to work too much to overproduce on something and, and you end up with something that ends up a little hollow or mm-hmm. stale or meaningless or, or uh, there's too much depth to it that no one can really penetrate it. Like... Uh, but that's not that's not going to be an issue with Stephen King. If he spends a little extra time on it, he gets a demonstrably better product. So, like, I, I see what he's saying here, but I, I guess when he says, I consider you talented, the talent, I would say, is the talent of survival, not the talent of, of, of being a writer. That That's a really good way to put it, yeah. That, yeah. I guess that's what I meant by being frugal or, or economically minded. Yeah, that's survival, yeah, yeah definitely so. So there's always that at the back of my mind when I read Stephen King or I see an adaptation of Stephen King's uh, work. And the other thing that's always in my mind is that Stephen King dislikes the best adaptations of his work. It certainly <laughs> seems that way, right? Like he yeah. historically hates uh, Forrest yeah. Kubrick's Shining, um, yeah. which is my favorite scary movie ever. And, yeah. and I'll tell you too, it's like... I. I can understand in a sense because yes, it is quite different from the book. I've read the book and I think the book is fantastic, but those are like two entities that I, I absolutely love uh, separately. separately. Yeah, exactly. I love them for different reasons, but I really do like them both a lot, but yeah, you're right. He, he typically does hate the best film adaptations. And then the ones he has like a really heavy hand in like the shining uh, TV series kind of, kind of blow. Yeah, or Maximum Overdrive, which he directed and is is terrible and makes no sense. Like, so uh, kind of a kind of a mixed bag, really. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the way he thinks, and it's good for a novel writer. The way he thinks is he wants to develop our understanding of each of the characters and our understanding of the setting and our understanding of the time. He wants to develop all those things. Um, and he does those things by telling us like he has the characters tell us those things yeah that happens uh i mean this is an adaptation obviously of his work and you can't blame him for the script but a lot of this stuff is straight out of the book Mm. there's like we're we get exposition about the kids up until the end of the first part like they're still telling us about themselves and it's like they do it in an, in a row like do you remember the part near the very end where they're all sitting around talking about like their their dream career mm-hmm. like there's just a, like i'm going to be this i'm going to be this i'm going to be this like it's it's useless like yeah it's, it's kind of heavy handed yeah in a novel you can maybe play that out over a period of time where maybe you show a chapter in that kid's head and he's thinking about that, whatever. But in a movie, we don't need that shit. Like, yeah, why you, do- you can deliver all that through context kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, there's there are parts where they're introducing each other to each other. And of course they say, this is the, so-and-so and he is this person and this is so-and-so and he's this type. Like... Just like show us through their actions. You don't have to tell us all of it. And again, in a novel, uh, you know, you can get away with a lot of telling. I mean, it's generally considered by my critics of, of novels that you should be showing and not telling. But readers of novels are generally fine with just being told by the characters exactly what's going on sometimes. So 
when you get to a movie though that that's just gonna play terribly and it does in this well do you think the remake is going to do any better about it i hope i really do i i i think there's a like because as i said i think the source material has a lot of good stuff to it sure and it it should be adapted well i don't know that this is gonna do it i hope it does because i always want to see a good horror movie and i'd i'd really like to see a good adaptation of it i, I mean i'm i'm gonna say this one's not terrible but I got some problems with it. Well, let me ask you this about the, the book versus our adaptations that we're seeing. So, of course, in the in the old school one that we're reviewing today, the narrative co- is constantly switching back and forth between flashback of the kids, current time as the yeah. adults, back and forth, back and forth. The remake looks as though it is only focusing on the kids yeah. portion of the story. And then there's supposed to be a part two which is the adult side of the story. So it's mm-hmm. more more or less the tale in chronological yeah. order. That's exactly how it should have been done. Is uh, that how it is in the book? No, it switches back and forth in the book. Okay, um, so the TV series yeah. is more like the book in that it switches constantly. Yeah, and that's that's definitely to its detriment. I like, um, I know, you know, I didn't watch the previews for the new It before I watched It because I didn't want... I didn't want any coloring of of seeing the series itself. Um, watching the series, I writing my notes. One of the things I I said as I I came through that like transition from the first part to the second part is this should be kids than adults. Like we don't need we don't need the adult stuff interspersed in the first part. Like you need, even if you're making a miniseries and you know people are gonna come back for the second part, yeah. Make two parts that can stand alone. Make two parts that are good, and like the skipping back and forth doesn't benefit us in any way. Well, that's the kind of thing too. Is like even for the for the original TV series, you know, with it being a two part, you know, two night event, it totally would have made sense for you know. The first episode to be the whole kid's story, the second episode to be the adult story. Yeah. Um, for it to be chronological. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not cool with stories that jump around timeline-wise uh, right. like that. I mean, when like, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, some, some movies are greatly enhanced by that sort of narrative, like Pulp Fiction, for example. Um, yeah. But this is the kind of story that I think would have been totally fine being linear. Um, chronologically, rather than doing this bouncing back and forth kind of thing, um, I liked it at times. But oh, yeah. after you There's... know what, three and a half hours of it, it's kind of like okay, we're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, yeah, maybe a little much. So I do have faith with these remakes that it'll be cool just seeing the kids' side of things. Plus, too, it's like it seems like they are really. Um, which I, I don't know if I can say they're borrowing from Stranger Things when actually Stranger Things borrows <laughs> from this a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good... It's actually... this. Uh, that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought it up. Like, seeing it through the lens of Stranger Things can, I think, can lead to making a much better It movie. So... Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing is, like, with Stranger Things... You know, it, it is very much like what a lot of these old Stephen King adaptations sought to try to do, only Stranger yeah. Things fucking nailed the fuck out of it. Right. So now we're like remaking a Stephen King movie, 
based on this thing that did a Stephen King story better than a Stephen King story had been done before on film. Yeah, so it should improve the overall product, yeah. hopefully. Like, if they don't try to stick, like, too much, to, like, if they're not just ripping off Stranger Things, like... Yeah. Um, and it's hard to rip off something that is, is directly related to the product that you're you're making, but, I mean, you can easily you know maybe get one of the kids from stranger things to be in the movie yeah oh wait they did that <laughs> <laughs> correct they did i'm yeah. not really exactly sure how i feel about the the casting and the portrayal of, of pennywise in here um yeah I, again i haven't read the book but it's like man after you have you know tim curry smash uh -huh. the shit out of a, a character and make it really iconic like that I don't yeah. really know how you how you replace it. it. It has to be at that Heath Ledger Joker level where it's like it's the same character but completely reimagined mm -hmm. and takes it yeah. in a completely different spin. So the the guy the guy really has his work cut cut out for him playing uh, Pennywise in here, and it does look like they are playing it a different sort of way. I think somebody else told me they thought that it seemed more accurate to the book or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is dark. I think because Tim Curry, um, if you read a little bit about his his role here, they originally wanted to do like a full prosthetic, like face mask sort of thing for Pennywise, mm. and he had just done Legend, and Fuck he was yeah. like, no, he was like, no, I don't want to, like, I'm not gonna do all that prosthetic. So like, the the simpler Pennywise, the one without the you know the teeth all the time and without the contacts all the time. That is more of a, like, is more of, you know, just out of necessity because you have Tim Curry and he's refusing to do all the prosthetics. I think it's it's good. I think Tim Curry does it so well where he's, like, luring them in by being, he's still menacing but less, like, the, you know, the way we see the clown in, in the previews for the upcoming movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's, he's less, like, always intense. Like, the, the fact that he's... He's more like fun and and trying to, I guess, menace the kids is I really like that. But, you know, again, maybe the new adaptation will do that. <laughs> Don't know. I'm excited to see it, man. And maybe it will maybe it will scar a whole new generation of kids very much like how it did for our generation, because I always remember, you know, we're, we're both kids of the 80s, of course. Mm -hmm. And I always remember meeting so many kids that were just absolutely mortified of clowns because they had seen it when they were children and it just completely <laughs> ruined yeah. their childhoods. Um, and so I think that before we start getting into our view of it, I think it would be a really good time to start bringing up and chatting about, like, let's say maybe our top five things that absolutely scared the fuck out of us as kids and just ruined, <laughs> ruined our childhoods. Cause yeah. I, again, I know a lot of people that saw this or they saw Child's Play or, you know, some other scary movie when they were a kid and it just wrecked their childhood. I didn't experience really any of those any of those movies when I was a kid, but I had a number of other really stupid things that terrified me as a child. Did you, Steve? Yes. Yes, I did. I have a <laughs> list of them right here in front of me. Well, how about I kick us off here with one of my favorite things that freaked the fuck out of me when I was a younger Ben. <laughs> Let's hear it. So, one of the things that I was super scared of when I was a kid was fucking Santa Claus. I thought that, Oh! <laughs> I thought the entire notion 
I are already this is great. I did not expect that. Yeah, okay. dude, like the, the entire idea to me as a kid that somebody that I didn't know was coming into my house while I was asleep. Uh-huh. Just terrified the fuck out of me. And it's <laughs> like, you know, my parents were like, "No, no, he's bringing you presents and stuff like this." And I was like, "I don't know who he is, and he's in my house while I'm asleep." That's not cool. <laughs> so my my parents actually kind of had to like drop the ball on me really early just so I wouldn't be really, really fucking terrified on Christmas night. Because <laughs> I really just apparently, I mean, I'm talking, I was like two or three, um, really did not like the idea of somebody being in my house, even if he was bringing me a new, you know, Super NES game or something like that. I was just not about to have it. So yeah, Santa Claus, I think was one of the first things I recall terrifying me. <laughs> That's that's really interesting. I also, you know, I'll go ahead and start because I, I also have a character who terrified me as a child, but it's a little more, I guess, traditional. Freddy Krueger was uh, terrifying to me as a child. Yeah, I yeah, I've told the story in the past on the Elm Street episode about uh, having, you know, waking up with 103 degree fever and hallucinating that Freddy Krueger was behind the heater in oh, my yeah. room and like. I, Freddy Krueger just stuck with me. It was like, as I got older, the fear subsided as I realized like, oh, it's Robert England is, is being funny and, and it's it's not really yeah a, a thing to be afraid of. But it was still like, uh, I still, like I think I mentioned last week that I had a dream where all of the, like, you know, uh, Leatherface and Jason and, and Freddy Krueger and all, all these big horror characters were fighting it out and in my mind freddy was winning so like even <laughs> even now in my mind i think freddy yeah freddy's the most frightening of the, all those characters so yeah that that's a huge childhood fear of mine that's awesome <laughs> i believe it too and i knew a lot of other kids that you know again like i said maybe saw that movie when they were a little too young for it uh-huh. And it just freaked the fuck out of him. So I, I think that I totally would have been one of those kids that had my entire childhood ruined by it or Freddy Krueger or something like that. So <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm really glad that I didn't see that stuff when I was a kid. Now, another one of those that absolutely freaked me out when I was a kid is Okay. So you remember when we were kids, like little kids, like this is when Sesame Street was in its like golden age, right? Uh-huh. And you remember, of course, Snuffleupagus, right? Yes, so of course. So if, if our listeners don't know, it, he was this big woolly mammoth-looking, big brown, shaggy uh, mammoth-looking creature that was on Sesame Street. So we had uh, like a like a little stuffed animal version of Snuffleupagus, right? Okay. And my brother, who's three years older than me, I was probably... I don't know, maybe four, which means he was like seven or so at the time. And through so much of our childhood, man, we had we had bunk beds. And I, as I mentioned on another show, I slept on the bottom bunk. My brother slept on the top bunk. Bottom bunk's best. Bottom bunk is the best, dude. So my brother would take this stuffed Snuffleupagus toy. And okay, it was probably the size of like, you know, like a, like a medium-sized dog. So a fairly large toy. Mm-hmm. And it was the big brown shaggy mammoth looking thing, but the eyes on it were like, imagine like, like ping pong balls cut in half, you know, just big, <laughs> just big oh, bulbous yeah. white eyes with black dots in the middle of them, right? 
Uh-huh. Snuffleupagus, if you recall, was kind of a heavily lidded, sort of sedated looking thing, whereas like his eyelids were just kind of halfway down his eyes most of the time. Yeah, he looks stoned. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He looks stoned. But on this toy, <laughs> for whatever fucking reason, they made it to where like the eyes were still full sized, but basically you could kind of like physically pull the eyelids back and give them these big like large marge uh, bug eyes if you wanted oh to. No. <laughs> so all the fucking time, man, my brother. <laughs> Up in the top bunk in the middle of the night would like creep down and he'd he'd lower down the snuffle up against toy like down into my bunk and he'd be like, Hey Ben and he like pe- <laughs> and he'd like peel the eyelids back so it was just these big bulbous snuffle up against eyes. Uh-huh. Be like, I'm gonna kill you <laughs> it, just, it always scared the dog shit yeah. out of me, man. Just these big bulbous white eyes on this fucking snuffleupagus tormenting me fuck older brothers dude (laughs) so yeah snuffleupagus fucked my childhood up all right listen uh we didn't plan this but my older brother uh created a fear in me that fear is lakes yeah (laughs) yeah when i was little um i guess real little i i didn't uh even think about lakes but then i saw jaws and we went to the lake to go swimming and my brother told me that there were sharks in the lake Mm. now he he was trying to i think not make me afraid i think he truly thought there were sharks in the lake because he said there was a there was a roped off section where everybody was swimming he said see that rope out there that keeps the sharks away so just swim here. Don't don't swim anywhere else. I think he really thought it. I don't think he was trying to fuck with me. And like for the rest of like my childhood, I would just assumed like like it, you know, I eventually learned that there are no sharks in the lake, but like I still had that fear like well what the hell else is, might be down there? Yeah. Like it was it wasn't until like later in my teens that I was like, you know, there's nothing in the damn lake. Like I learned the history of the lake and it's just like, oh, this wasn't even here. 50 years ago. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's man-made. That's yeah. fucking funny. That, that that totally seems like one of those just like dumb, stupid things that we believe when we're kids where you don't even question it. You yeah. just go with it and you're like, that seems to make sense. Yeah. I mean, listen, why, why would there be sharks in the ocean and not in the lake? Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I even know so many people that were scared of like sharks being in their swimming pool and shit like that. Like, oh, they'll get in through the through the pool drain and shit like that. Yeah, well, that's that's probably from that uh, that one Jaws Jaws 3D where he gets into Sea World. Oh my God, I haven't seen it. Or she, I guess she Jaws is technically female. So lakes, that's one of your scares, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, I I still don't like them. Still don't want to like if I see a lake, I don't want to get in it. No. That's awesome. You know, another one that absolutely scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, and it's funny because I never even saw the movie, but when I was about uh, five or six years old and I got chicken pox, um, I I think I even mentioned this on another show, I was just kind of like sitting on the couch eating eating, uh, fudge ripple ice cream and watching TV all day and stuff. Having chicken pox, Mm, I thought was pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, it was the stuff, man. Uh, but during that time period is when they were advertising Gremlins 2 on TV. <laughs> yeah. I had never seen Gremlins. I had never seen Gremlins 2. 
But dude, <laughs> the image of the actual like gremlins, like Spike and all them, yeah, absolutely terrified the fuck out of me when I was a kid. Uh, that makes sense. I don't like. I mean, just absolutely mortified me, dude. So anytime those commercials would come on, I would like freak the hell out and like fucking run out of the room and stuff. And even like years later, like when they started making like the Gremlins like video games and stuff, you know. Uh huh. And there'd be like advertisements in my like Game Pro magazine or Nintendo Power <laughs> or whatever, and it would have like pictures of the Gremlins in there. It would still like. Whoa! Like freak me out, you know. Uh-huh. I don't know what the deal is. They, they, the look of those creatures really just set off like gross. every instinct in my body to like get the fuck away from this thing. Yeah, I, I did see the Gremlins movies, and yeah, I, I also thought they were really gross. Didn't like looking at them. We should totally do Gremlins like uh, for like a Christmas episode or something. Oh, absolutely! Gremlins uh, is an. Um, my wife and I celebrate Halloween, Christmas. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> from oh. Halloween to Christmas, we watch a lot of horror movies, but specifically, we like to watch Christmas-themed horror movies. I like it. Uh, and there are a ton of them, and Gremlins is, is one of the better ones, for sure. Righteous, man. So yeah, those those damn Gremlins fucking freak me out. What's another one of yours? Not being able to breathe. Ugh, <laughs> that's bad! <laughs> yeah, I, as I've said before, I've uh, always suffered from sleep paralysis. I've also always suffered from... Uh, um, sleep apnea even as a a, yeah even as a very uh skinny four-year-old i my snores and my uh gasping for breath would keep people up at night um so yeah i i developed a, a healthy fear of not being able to breathe and i would freak the fuck out when i was little like if somebody would tickle me not because oh, damn, I was yeah. ticklish, not because I was like particularly ticklish, but because it, I would end up not being able to breathe, and like I would just get violent. Like yeah, if somebody yeah. was tickling me and I started to get that feeling like I couldn't take a full breath, like I would just start punching. Like, yeah, whoever you, it was, you go there, like no fucking matter. stop kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, anytime like I I do not cotton to this. Uh, let's go to the the pool and and play some childish games where we push somebody's head under the water oh uh, dude that would always piss me the fuck that would, off that would set me off immediately just like fuck you i must share a little bit of that too steve because like i remember that same deal yeah where there'd always be that asshole that would push you into the pool or whatever or push uh-huh. your head under the water and i'm not really much of a swimmer anyway so that thing that kind of thing would always just infuriate me and get me super super scared but i also like a little claustrophobic and stuff too so i remember like shit like you know my brother like rolling me up in a rug or something like that where uh-huh, I couldn't yeah move and just again kind of getting the same way where it's just like you you hit freak out mode super fast yeah and you know what i don't get the joke honestly I don't get what, like, I never got it as a child. I don't get it as an adult. What is the funny part about pushing someone's head under the water? Like, I don't get it. You might die. Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's like, at the best, you'll snort up a bunch of chlorinated water and it'll burn your sinuses. That's hilarious. (laughs) Ha ha. Everyone's having a good time. Like, I've never understood it. I've never understood it, man. But we also don't get pranks. So there you go. We're not. Maybe we just maybe we just need to lighten up, you know? I think the fear of not being able to breathe is, is pretty rational, Steve, but 
one of mine that I think is quite irrational that I had as a child <laughs> was the fear of a historic East Tennessee landmark that we have all visited before. I'm speaking, of course, of Dollywood's Blazing Fury. <laughs> okay, all right. You were, we're not. You're not saying you were afraid of car, like amusement rides. You're saying you're specifically afraid of that roller coaster. Specifically, Blazing Fury. So, okay. For our listeners that don't know, we grew up right around Dollywood, which is Dolly Parton's uh, theme park, or as mm-hmm. it should be known, Silver Dollar City. Man, that Dolly, she really came in and ruined the industry huh man shoo man let's let's just go ahead and take the side nobody takes with dolly parton fuck her yeah fuck her she ruined <laughs> silver dollar city oh, i want to help kids read and rebuild the smokies uh get out of here they're cocky ass <laughs> dollywood i i'm gonna go ahead and apologize i like dolly yeah Dolly's dolly awesome. dolly i know she's a listener dolly i'm sorry <laughs> so so what was it so over at Dollywood, they have a ride that has been in place since I assume probably the earlier mid mid eighties, right? Called the Blazing Fury. Yeah, I remember it. Mm. And it the I- about, yeah, the idea with the Blazing Fury is it's kind of like it's not really so much of a roller coaster as it is kind of like a it's a small world kind of ride where you're rolling through and seeing all these animatronic sort of mm-hmm. scenes going on. And basically, the premise is that you're rolling through a town. Just like that's an, on far. That's on far, yeah. And it's like an old hillbilly town up in the up in the boonies. And you've got all kinds of various scenes of like moonshiners and miners and stuff like this that are fleeing mm-hmm. their burning homes. Um and there's so much just absolutely choice dialogue, man. Like that uh that one scene where uh there's like the the woman and the guy, and he's like, you, uh-huh. you look like you've been kissing that steam train. Uh, the woman says, come here, you big old hunk of man. I want to kiss on you some. You look and like you've been says... kissing that steam train. <laughs> and yeah. then, like, she's about to, like, jump out of the window of the second story of the house. She's like, yeah. week back or not, here I come. <laughs> but for some reason, like, as a kid... All of that stuff, like all of the fact that all that stuff was like burning down, and then the weird... Uh I've always been kind of creeped out by animatronic shit. Yes. I don't think any of us as as kids loved animatronic things, like whether it's like a... No. You know, like a a Celebration Station or a Chuck E. Cheese or a Blazing Fury. Like, I don't think any of us liked those things. I think they just weirded us out because they were... I don't know, man. So, as a kid, that animatronic shit plus you know houses burning down really freaked the fuck out of me and then that ride kind of concludes with like it looks like you're about to get hit by a oncoming locomotive yeah and then big drop yeah yeah there's like a big drop and that always freaked me out a lot and it's funny man because like when was the last time that you were on the blazing fury um is that it's they changed it now it's called the flooded mine or something or no is that okay they they also used to have the flooded mine and they changed it the blazing fury is still here they okay yeah they closed the flooded mine because a water moccasin got into the ride yeah oh yeah i remember that the blaze i think the last time i rode the blazing fury i was um i was maybe 24 or 25 so it's been about about three months yeah yeah i mean yeah i'm 20 26 now so yeah uh 
it is so shot. It's one of those things that you go back and you're like, oh my god, like how could this have scared me as a kid? Because it is just busted yeah. as fuck, man. Yeah, because like they the the animatronics look nothing like people. No, they they look like they were crudely carved uh, into styrofoam by. I don't know, a carny in 74, and they just kept it? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And it's like, they haven't updated anything. They haven't fucking changed the costumes on those characters. Yeah. They haven't put a fresh coat of paint on shit. It's mm. just busted as fuck. So, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like, you know, as a kid in 1989 or whatever it was, whenever I saw it, when all the paint was fresh, maybe it actually was terrifying. I don't think so. Probably I, not. like... Yeah, I think I get what you're saying, though, because, like, I guess that's what they were going for. The anxiety of, like, seeing something burn like that. Was, that is scary. I never I guess I just didn't think of it as a kid. Now, as an adult, I could feel like maybe if I went through it, I'd get a little anxious because the idea of your like the town's burning down and there's not really anything you can do about it. Like, I mean, the thought of like, what if some what if some old gal wanted to kiss you and she looked like she'd been kissing on that steam train? Yeah, I mean, that's the most frightening thing of all, right? Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh, why? Your face is melting. <laughs> like, if you were kissing on a steam train, you'd look like Red Skull, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Um, so, I, I didn't have a particular ride that I was afraid of, but it's interesting that you mentioned the, uh, <laughs> the animatronics, because I was uh, afraid of dolls oh, as yeah. a young man. And it, it wasn't about... Uh, Chucky. It wasn't about child's play. It, it came before that. Dolls just are creepy. And when I was very little, uh, there were a number of dolls like the uh, Teddy Ruxpin and, and things like that. That also their eyes moved and they talked. Oh yeah. Ugh. Um. And so growing up on a steady stream of that, and the looking at realistic dolls like they, there were a lot of dolls where people were like trying to make it look more like an actual kid right and all of that just was it upset me like when i would see those dolls and my sister had a ton of them and i, I always just felt really uncomfortable when i was alone in a room with a doll yeah. Because their eyes are just looking at you. And yeah. I know they're not attached to anything, but they look real. Like <laughs> they look like eyes. I guess much like your snuffleupagus. Uh, oh god. The, eye, <laughs> the eyes are the frightening part. Like it, it it adds depth to this toy. To the like, terror. If you look, yeah, you look at you look at a Barbie's eyes and you're not like, "Oh, that's real." But you look at, you know, some doll's eyes and it's just like, "Jesus Christ." Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. How does an adult Steve feel about a real doll? <laughs> Actually, those... I think that is a great concept for a horror movie now. A real doll that comes to life and Holy kills. Holy shit. Has nobody yeah. done that yet? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, trade, uh, trademark Dead and Lovely Podcast. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and write that down. Real doll. I, um... Uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll need to cut this out, but I've been working on homeschool horror a good bit lately. No way, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, of the of the several ideas you and I have come up with and the, the ideas that I, I've been working on already, that's the one that's, like, stuck with me. Homeschool horror, I think, is, is such a great idea. Like, and I, I've been thinking of it in relation to movies like Parents, and the people under the stairs. Parents uh, is a fucked up weird movie, yeah. dude. 
yeah, just like this idea of suburban horror where it's like you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I think it's so relevant now because, you know, of the election and, and a lot of us were very shocked to discover how many people would vote for Donald Trump. We yeah. still don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah, it's very It's true. still scary. It's still frightening. <laughs> like, so... Uh, yeah, I think I think that's the best idea we've come up with. But uh, real doll coming to life, that's fucking awesome. I mean, what if you even <laughs> framed it like a Chucky style sort of thing, where it's like uh, the spirit of a serial killer enters a real doll. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's like it's like a male serial killer, and he's like he comes to, and he's just getting railed by an obese dude living in his mom's basement. <laughs> or you know what? What if what if the uh... What if it's sort of a reverse horror movie where? <laughs> okay. Oh no! What if it's just like a serial, like a, a, a serial rapist, like and he, and he gets trapped in the body of a yeah. real doll. And he can't move. Yeah. <laughs> he just has to. Like, oh no! That's good. I like that too. Best desserts. All right. <laughs> cool. Trademark uh, dead and lovely. Trademark dead and lovely, guys. Uh, I think if you say that, that means. You know, nobody can can work off that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess the last thing that I would say in my top five of of stuff that I was absolutely mortified of as a kid would be basically anybody that didn't live in my house. (laughs) 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 And even at that, still questionable at times. Yeah. Well, yeah, you did tell us uh, at one point about your fear that your parents were aliens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So even that was still questionable and stuff. Yeah, I thought my my parents were aliens that were going to eat me. But it's like even going to like, uh, you know, like family gatherings for like Christmas and stuff like that. And I was just with my, you know, aunts and uncles and nieces, or not nieces or nephews, but like cousins and stuff like this. It's like, Uh I was just mortified of all these people that I didn't know. I used to be the most shy fucking person in the world where, like I said, I I couldn't even talk to my cousins and shit. Like, I'm sure they all thought I was just weird as fuck as a kid. It's funny. I actually just ran into my cousin, uh, Jessica, for the first time in probably like... 17 or 18 years at a brewery wow. in, in Knoxville. Yeah, she, she like she came up she, to me and she was like, "Hey, do you do you remember who I am?" And listen, I sound like fucking big shot guy right now. I actually I get that a lot just cuz I meet I meet a lot of people and I yeah, meet a lot obviously. of I meet a lot obviously. of people online and stuff through my YouTube channel and all that jazz. So I I guess I kind of had that I'm searching my memory banks look on my face and she's like, "I'm your cousin Jessica." And I was like, "Oh my god." Holy shit. So we caught up and stuff, which was cool. And I'm, I'm glad to have maybe cleared my name as a weirdo with at least one family member because, <laughs> God, dude, I was just I was just weird as shit as a kid. I, I could not talk to to absolutely anybody, man. I had the hardest time uh, making conversation, even with people that I shared DNA with. So, yeah, I don't think anything really scared me more than, like, people that I don't know as a kid real afraid of strangers that's strange danger yeah uh, listen it was ingrained in us honestly like there was so many cartoons and stuff of that time that would have like that message there were so many messages in cartoons that stuck for sure but like also may have created a lot of irrational fears in our generation oh yeah yeah because i don't think that mamaw was about to kidnap me or anything like that you know, hey, you know, I think 
to be honest, I think the statistics are you're most likely to be kidnapped by a member true. of your family. So maybe <laughs> your fear was. <laughs> and um, you know that was kind of also mixed up with all the all the satanic panic goings on. Yeah. Of our childhood too. So I'm sure that I just took all that shit way too seriously. This my my last fear, Ben, and this is. <laughs> Uh, this is, I guess, what fueled a lot of my childhood. I was afraid of being alone in the world. Oh, yeah, not, yeah. Not alone in the sense of being the only person in the world. That was actually a fantasy I had as a child because I saw the movie Omega Man and that happens basically in that movie. And it's like, oh, that would be kind of cool to just yeah. get to walk around and do whatever you want. But like the actual fear of like, um, like nobody gets me mm -hmm. like, and, and I don't get them. And like, you know, like what if no, no, what if nobody ever gets me? What if I never get anybody else? It, it was really right. weird growing up. Cause like my, my family, like my, my cousins and I, my, my brother, my sister, we all hung out all the time. And, um, I, I felt a kinship. I felt, uh, like we got each other in some way, but I always still felt like I was, like when I would do stuff or say stuff that I thought was like funny or, or fun, a lot of times it would it wouldn't go over well. Like it yeah. would it would sort of go over their heads or not be as as not be understood in the way I'd hoped it would be understood. I think we all go through that, obviously. That's just the human condition, but like I had a particular like fear that it would always be that way. No doubt. So, yeah, it stuck with me. I like uh, it wasn't until I think uh maybe eighth grade that I started feeling like I was actually making friendships and, and really meeting people and, and, and feeling like I was meeting people that had similar views and, and ideas to me. Yeah. Which, you know, I, obviously you want to meet a lot of people with different views and things, but it's real nice to find out you're not the only one who thinks things. Well, you know, I think that's probably a lot of my, my fear with, with strangers and even family and stuff too, as a kid is like, you know, as a kid, dude, it's like all that I was into was like drawing comic books and like uh -huh. video games. Yeah, I, I loved video games, TV. I, I did not play sports. Uh, I did. I did not hunt or anything like that. No. I wasn't into any of this stuff. And it's like a lot of my family, especially on my dad's side, they were, they were all, uh, you know, just, just good old redneck people. So yeah. it's like I had literally nothing to talk about. It's like my entire universe was like comic books mm -hmm. and video games. And so it's like whenever I'd get together family members and they would do nothing but hunt and watch football, it's like I had literally nothing to talk about. And I think that was like where a lot of my fear came from. It's just that kind of like what you're talking about, not relating to or not being related to in any way. Um, I think that's where a lot of my shit came from too. Yeah. I think that might be why, actually, because um, we all played sports in my family. My cousins and, and my brother and my sister, we all were playing baseball, football. My sister played softball. She was a cheerleader. Like, mm -hmm. we all did that stuff up to a point. But I always felt kind of like, even though I wanted to do it because I wanted to hang out with my cousins, I also didn't want to do it because I, I just, I wasn't that into the sport itself, like playing football I, I did like baseball some but i would also get kind of disheartened with it and just sort of feel like i, I don't want to do this anymore uh but it wasn't i guess until later that i actually got into sports like i got into watching them and i think a lot of that has to do with 
that was one of the things that I knew. Like, I knew the rules, I knew how it was played, and also my family liked it. So, like, it was a it was a way of, like, having common ground. Right. Like, getting into sports was like, oh, we have something to talk about. And, yeah. like, to this day, my brother and I, when we message each other and stuff, like, it's, it's either about sports or politics. Like, that's it. That's right. all we really have to go back on it's like well we can always talk about sports or we can always talk about politics we don't always agree but we always have something to talk about (laughs) yeah right on man yeah i think that that's that's definitely i think a big thing for a lot of people as 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 their kids is just being understood you know yeah that's uh, so yeah that was a big fear of mine i think um i you know i still i still have it it's still there i think we all do probably definitely Um, so i'm glad that i didn't see it when i was a kid though i think that yeah. I think that it would have freaked the fuck out of me, much like a lot of these other <laughs> scary movies and stuff, because I know a lot of people that just are still, like, irrationally afraid of clowns because they saw this too early on. So, with that being said, let's kind of get into our, our review portion Awesome of good old classic It. So, as I mentioned, this was the first time that I watched um, the two-part It series. My wife got it for me on Blu-ray for my birthday, so... We watched it probably about a month or a month and a half ago, and at that time we hadn't planned on doing a podcast about it, so I didn't take notes or anything, so my recollection of the names of a lot of the characters and stuff like that I'm sure is quite fuzzy at best. It's okay. So in, the, in this <laughs> episode, Steven might have to do what Jesus does and take the wheel. Oh yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> I, listen, Jesus sometimes says to me, hey Steven, take the wheel. Steven, take the wheel. <laughs> Steven, take the wheel. So this take is the first time. <laughs> this is the first time that you watched it too, right? Yeah, yeah. This was the first time I watched it, and um, I, I think, yeah, I think it probably would have if I had watched it as a child. It probably would have stuck with me more. It probably yep. would have had more to it. But this is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who's a frequent collaborator collaborator with John Carpenter. Okay. Um. He, his other films include Halloween three, which we all know is the second worst Halloween season of uh, the witch. Actually, uh, that it could have been good. That Halloween three could have been good, but it's not. We'll cover um, that. We'll cover that at some point. Yeah. He also directed Fright Night two. You might see a, a bit of a, a bit of a pattern here. He directed sequels, um, <laughs> and he directed the sequel to John Carpenter's Vampires. Vampires. Los Muertos, which was oh. a direct, direct to DVD type of thing. Sick. Um, he, yeah, he's not, he's not well known for directing. This would be his biggest project. He, the one thing though that we should know about him is that he was the guy in the Mike, uh, Michael Myers mask in the uh, closet scene. So, oh, okay, right on. So I, I would say if I were him, the two things I'd be most proud of that I, I put out in the world would be. First it, and then second being Michael Myers yeah. in the closet scene. Because those are two awesome things. Way to go. Um, This is Stephen King's 22nd book. Holy shit. Yeah. He, he, this, in 1986, it came out. His 22nd book. This guy, it's insane how much he's produced in how his much, lifetime. How many books has he fucking written? I do not know. I didn't write that down. I wish I had. Uh, wow. But this is this is uh, very clearly in his cocaine era. 
he has said definitively that Cujo was written entirely on cocaine. So that was 1981. And then Needful Things, he has said, is the first book he wrote completely sober, which was mm. 1991. So there was a 10-year period where he was super coked up writing books. Wow. Yeah. So this this uh, adaptation was uh, written by Lawrence D. Cohen. Most every script he's written has been an adaptation of Stephen King, including Carrie. He wrote the adaptation of Carrie, which okay. is... Which I think good. is pretty good. Yeah, I've read the book yeah. and I've seen the movie and I think that it's pretty fine. I, I think what happened here and, you know, as we get into the problems, I just want this to be like in our minds so we can remember that this was originally planned to be an eight to ten hour series. Jesus Christ, that is a lot of film. Yeah, and it was originally to be directed by George Romero. So that would have been like, you know, a... Uh, a four to five, maybe five to six part miniseries. Mm-hmm. They would have been able to go more in depth into all these things that they they left in the final product that they should have cut out when it came down to just doing a two part miniseries. But now, let me ask you, in terms of the length of the flick, did you sit down and watch this all in one go? No, I couldn't. I okay. tried. It's, See, it's... I, we watched it as a two-parter. Like we, I yeah. think we pretty much did it kind of like how it was on TV, where we watched half of it one night and then watched the uh-huh. other half of it the next night. Um, I would imagine sitting and watching it straight through to be very tiresome. Uh-huh. But kind of watching it as two, you know, hour and a half long, a little over than that, a little longer than that, movies. Um, I don't know. I didn't think that it seemed too long. No. I mean, if you if you cut it up into two parts... I think it's the only it, way to do it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, the Stephen King had very little involvement, little to no involvement in the adaptation process, but he has said that he likes the miniseries. So, he likes the, the final product. He thinks it captured what, you know, he was going for. As best you could for a miniseries. So, mm-hmm. um, we have that to work off of. We know that it, it was supposed to be bigger. Uh, there was supposed to be more time to flesh out these details. And, and that, that Stephen King likes the final product. Wow. I, I don't. I don't like the final product. I don't think. <laughs> not so much. No, not so much. I don't think in the end that this is a good movie. I don't think this is two good movies. I don't. I think there's a good movie there. It, it could be brought out, but it wasn't. Well, let me ask you, what do you think about, let's kind of split it up as far as acting-wise. What do you think about the kid actors and how they do in the movie? Uh, Seth Green is Seth Green. Seth Green's always been Seth Green. Like he, yeah. If you see him in his earliest roles, and this is one of them, he's Seth Green. Like He's no different than he is today. He He's uh, uh, charming. Uh, he has a you know good comedic timing, etc. The kid who plays the main guy, Jonathan Brandis, no, not good. He's the kid <laughs> with the good. stutter, right? Yeah, not good at all. Right, but th- I don't, I don't know the the kid who plays Ben. I think is pretty good. Which I think some ben? of his Ben's the the tubby kid. Okay. Um. Uh, he's pretty good, but there are a lot of lines in this that there's no way even the best child actor could have delivered well. That's so true. I, 
I feel like it, it's tough. The girl, I don't remember her name, didn't write it down. I know her name in, in the movie, but I don't remember the actress's name. Mm -hmm. uh, Be the girl who plays Bev is uh, good. Again, her lines, not great. But yeah, overall, the acting's not great. It's, it's pretty bad. Kind of average 80s child actor kind of level. Yeah. Yeah, and for a TV miniseries, I guess people would have been like, yeah, that's about right, but could have done better, I think. I hear you, man. I thought that they did okay. Like, honestly, I'll tell you, my expectations for for this going into it were rock bottom low. I really figured that yeah. this would be a complete letdown on all fronts going into it. Just one of those mm -hmm. movies that totally did not age well at all. So my expectations were extremely low going in so i'll put that out there too as far as my judgments um yeah i think that actually bottom that actually helped in the end for me too mm -hmm. i probably would be more angry right now about this movie yeah. if i if i had gone in expecting it to be as good as as people say or to stick with me as much as other people have said mm -hmm. um because it's it's not good um there are elements that are good but that doesn't I mean that doesn't save this in the end the the kids there are too many of them there's a lot of them. yeah there's a lot of them too many kids and too many white guys that could have been just molded into one for yeah, sure I can completely see that yeah they could have they definitely could have economized there and just sort of molded a few in a couple yeah yeah all we really need are Bill Ben Bev uh Mike and maybe one of the others maybe yeah. seth green maybe but they they have all these kids that don't like they have the kid stan who doesn't get fleshed out at all and so you expect he's gonna die like you expect mm -hmm. him to not be around yeah he's the um, red shirt yeah he's yes exactly he's the red shirt he doesn't have much to say there's not a whole lot of like you don't connect with him that much but he's also poorly written like his his attributes are Jewish and doubt stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's already I mean like I get that you want to make a character who's more scientific who's going to doubt stuff and they need that. But why do you make him Jewish too? Why do you attach like cuz then that attaches this context of like well the Jews doubted Jesus was the Christ like <laughs> the Jews are doubters he's a doubter like and, and in the end like it's a negative thing like yeah. it's not a positive also why is it that Mike who is <laughs> one of the main characters i mean he's our narrator almost uh, through the entirety of it he's the one who sets everything up and tells us what's going on, but they don't introduce the character of Mike as a child until over an hour into the film. Yeah, that was a bit of odd pacing, right? Where it's like, oh, then he shows up, okay. Yeah, they sh he should have already been... Like, you know what should have started this movie, honestly? Uh, is that, uh, you know, we, we get maybe the, the damn scene and stuff, and then we meet Mike. Like we see that these kids are a, they're a unit, and then Mike comes along and completes them, right. and then we get all the rest of this stuff. Don't give me an hour of you know here's our core group. Oh yeah, also there's a guy named Mike. You'll get to we'll get to him. We'll get to yeah, him. He's the first person you met as he an adult. Started the story. Yes, he's the one who starts the story. Um, yeah, and and like 
the the part like he sets up the world like when he's talking in front of the classroom he helps to set up what's going on in the world so again we should have had that earlier in the film like don't give us that an hour into the film give us that you know in the first 20 minutes so that then we're getting like oh this is a whole sprawling world where in this city all of these things are going on i think that's a pretty pretty fair a pretty fair judgment i hadn't really thought about that though but yeah you're right why did they introduce him that fucking far into the movie yeah and i will also say i i have one like real big gripe just in this come this this is with the source material and this is that if if you have seven friends you'll have more friends like that's just how circles of friends work if you Mm -hmm. have seven friends those friends will make friends that will become your friends like you have seven friends you have the world Mm -hmm. so and that's kind of the setup i guess is that like these seven are close so by being close it doesn't matter that they're losers according to these psychopath bullies like but also if you have seven friends it's just gonna keep growing you're gonna meet more people you're not the losers you're just being called losers by psychopaths now, what do you think about the adult versions of the kids, too? How do you think that they're acting in their portrayal as their childhood counterparts? Uh, Neto Tool is good. Mm-hmm. She plays Bev. Yeah. She's she's good. She does a real good job. I think so. She's uh, probably the best in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the guy who plays Mike is is good. He... <laughs> I, I love... I don't know if this was the choice of the actor or if the, he just says things like this, but he can't say dairy. He says dury. <laughs> <laughs> he can't say it. He, he says terrible, like yeah. Charles Barkley. Like, terrible. I, yeah, I hope that's a choice. I, that guy, the, the guy who plays Mike, he's in a ton of stuff. Like, I think he was the dad and sister, sister or something like that. Like, Is, he's in a ton of stuff after this, and okay. I don't remember him doing that. So it's probably a choice. Who's the main dude that's like the writer? What's his name? Bill. Bill. Yeah. He looks like um, a damn like uh like domestic terrorist. Like he looks like he's off yes. to like bomb the trade center uh-huh. or something. Yeah, like he, yeah, he looks like they probably went to him in contact to play the role that eventually went to that Busey kid. Like Yeah. He he would be the terror he looks like a, a like like a Christian terrorist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. He, he does. Those fucking aviator glasses and he's kinda got like the dead eyes through most of the movie too. Uh-huh. Um, Harry, Harry Anderson um, has nothing to work with in this. I don't know if I don't know if he punched up the lines and, and the bad humor was his choice mm-hmm. or if it's just terrible. Like, He's like the comedian he, character, right? I mean, I guess I mean, if you if you want to call that comedy, it's not. <laughs> it's a matter not. of opinion, really. Yeah, I. It, but uh, it, it's a natural extension of the the comedy that we're getting from the childhood version of him, which is stupid. It's terrible. It's not funny. Man, he you has corny. A, yeah, he has like a one of those hand buzzer things. Come uh, on, Gee, I I I'm surprised he never pulled out a rubber chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his jokes in the movie are just he comes not in funny. a little too hot. Yeah, he comes in a little too hot on those. I mean, that I knew, I've known kids like this, like, growing up, oh, yeah. that were like, I'm the funny guy, and it's like, no, you're not, <laughs> you're yeah. not, like, you, what you're doing is, is being an asshole and saying it's funny, 
Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not funny. <laughs> not it's just at being an asshole. Um, so yeah, Harry Anderson, I, I, I loved him in Night Court, but I don't, he's not particularly good in this. Uh, John Ritter, this is disappointing to say, but he's not good in this. You don't think so? He's really bad. No. Oof. God. I don't know if it's... He seems so fatherly. Uh, that's just my thing with John Ritter is I can't see him as this, like, playboy architect. He's yeah, so that's fatherly. Fair that's fair enough. Yeah, like, that's not really his sort of type of character. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't think... I mean, it's not his fault. Uh, the, the lines he's saying aren't great, and he's cast against type, and he's, he's just... He doesn't come across the way I would expect him to. Um, and then who else we got? Is that, that's it, right? Oh, uh, also the guy, the, the guy who owns the limousine service. Uh, I forget his name. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, they call him the sissy kid. He like, uh, I, I get the sense that maybe, uh, Stephen King was going for he's gay. Like, yeah, yeah that, that's how I read it the whole time. Yeah. So, but I mean, that actor's fine, honestly. I mean, as far as the role goes, it's, he's, he doesn't have a lot of, he doesn't have a lot to work with, but he does fine with just being sort of neurotic and stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I think in the end, like <laughs> nobody does great in this. Nothing like it, it's not a product of, of, of people trying to excel. It's a product of people trying to get it done. And yeah. I could see that. You know, to me, it's like. Again, going in with the expectation of this being a, you know, of the time period made for TV movie. Yeah. I think I expected the acting to be just abysmal, you know, like fucking sub soap opera level acting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought they did better than I expected them to. Yeah. Uh, it's just so hard going back and watching stuff like this when, again, we've been spoiled by things like Stranger Things. Right. That are just exceptional, man. I think it's kind of hard to take a step back and remember, okay, this was actually above average for the time period because by today's standards, it's very below average. Um, but I don't know. I think for me, I thought that I thought they did a pretty good job, and they did a pretty good job of carrying mannerisms from the childhood actors to their adult counterparts. Um, yeah, you know, that's, with, yeah, but that's you know, true. At, at the same time, it's like. There's a lot of things in the movie, both with the childhood segments and the adult segments, that that did kind of bug me, which is like certain words and certain lines that they never fucking explain, that you know <laughs> that Stephen King just had like an absolute hard-on for, that he's like, no, 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 you have to put this in the movie, it's important. Like how they say, <laughs> how they say beep, beep all the time. Uh-huh. They never fucking explain that, but apparently, I guess in the book, that's like kind of a code word that they use to... Uh-huh. To tell one of the characters to shut up that he's talking too much or something. They never explain that in the movie at all. So you just constantly have adults and children going beep, 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 beep. And I thought that that was pretty annoying. And then even too, like, there's a few scenes in there that are kind of, could have been really fucking sick. Like, I think it's that scene where one of the kids goes into the old abandoned, um, mansion and like Pennywise is coming down the stairs as the really fucked up uh-huh. looking skeleton. Yeah. And you remember he has like the line that he says fuck I can't remember what it is but it's one of those things kind of like you know the sly fox quickly leapt over the lazy brown dog and like he yeah. says that to like keep himself centered 
but yeah, he he says the the scouts pledge. That's what it is. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and it, but it's like it makes zero sense in the context of the movie because it's not explained at all. Ever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of these. Like, I guess they were like, "This is these are good. This is good color from the book. Like, these yeah. quirks should come out." But then, like, they don't mean anything to us. They're like, it's they're never too really given cut, depth. Right? Yeah, it's kind of like it's fan service for fans of the book, but it's like for the casual watcher, it's just way too deep of a cut because there's no way you can make that logical leap to figure out what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, and there's there's a mixture here of everything is either too shallow or too deep. I I would say that's a very fair way to say that. Yeah. Yeah, like one of the first lines that we get in this this film is, "I'm the cop, you're the librarian." Okay, it's just like, <laughs> like we get the, you don't have to say it. that's stupid. That's a stupid line. Like. All the cop has to say to establish, like, I'm in charge here is stay away from this case or something like that. Not some stupid, like, let's establish who I am and who you are. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, just real on-the-nose exposition. Yeah, and also, like, I don't, I just don't understand how things like this slip by. In the first ten minutes, um, what the deputy says he'll have a cow... And then we see Bill as a kid, and he's he says, "Mom will have a bird." Yeah, like, what the fuck is that about? Yeah, I like they're not close enough to be connecting. It's not connecting something. Yeah. Um, it's just like they were writing the script, and nobody noticed that. Like you know, a few pages later, you say basically the same thing, and they also try to invent a lot of bullshit. Like Ben, as an adult, says. You bet your fern I was. We okay, used to say yeah. that as kids. That's not a thing. No. And, and it doesn't come back. So what the fuck? Why? Exactly. And that's the kind of thing where I wonder if there was like a scene in the book where that made sense. And then they just left it in the movie as, you know, fucking fan service for people who are just worshippers of the book or whatever. But to all of us watching it, it makes no fucking sense. You bet your fern. Yeah, like, who does that serve, though? Imagine you're a big fan of the book, and you're just sitting there like, man, I hope they say that you bet your fern line. Yeah. Fuck yeah, they said fern. <laughs> yeah, you bet your fern. Everybody's got a fern shirt on. Fern, 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 <laughs> fern. <laughs> like, that, like, of all the things, like, if you're dealing with fan service, first off, like, don't just try to rip shit out of the book and throw it in. Like, find out what the fans like. I mean, if you're if you're adapting this and you're not a fan of the book, you definitely need to talk to people who are fans of the book. If you're a fan of the book and you like specific things, talk to other fans of the book and make sure that that's what they like. Yeah. Because, like, it's just bullshit in the end if all you're throwing out there is stuff that's left out to you but no one else cares about. Now, the real kind of highlight of this flick, though, of course, you know, is, is Tim Curry as Pennywise, the dancing yeah. clown. So I think that I think that the job that he put down is pretty fucking rad. I think mm -hmm. that it was really a tightrope kind of act, because if he just would have acted hyper menacing all the time, then you're like, why would any kid ever follow this guy around? But the thing is, is he acts cute and charismatic and funny and stuff. Um, 
like you would expect a you know a, yeah. a clown to do so, and yeah. and then you know on on a dime the camera will change angles and he'll suddenly have these fucking crazy contacts and pointy teeth and like the first time that that happened, which is pretty early in the movie, it really did kind of like I went whoa, like you know that really did yeah. kind of freak me out a little bit because his portrayal of the clown, like I said, is so it's so light. And everything, yeah. and then it it'll get really fucked up out of nowhere, um, especially with the pointy teeth and stuff. I think is really yeah. fucking freaky. There's a there's a real dark story going on here that's not being told in the way in a dark way. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're children being killed. Yeah, like Georgie, he gets he gets his arm ripped off. Like, yeah, dude, that's something that really blew me away about this, too, is, like, it was kind of more hardcore than I expected it to be. Like, within the first yes. you know, minute or so of the movie, a little girl gets abducted off of her tricycle, and then, it's like you were saying, you find out that, like, his little brother's arm was ripped off, and uh-huh. kids are, like, mangled and dismembered and eaten and all this other shit. It's like... Yeah, it was pretty fucking dark to be on TV, yeah. dude, on network TV. Yeah, and so, I mean, I don't know if because it was on TV, they were told they had to balance it out by one. Uh, the light, it's just too bright. Everything's too bright. It is. There's too much focus on the kids having fun. Like, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of the kids having a good old time that doesn't really relate to the the rest of the story. Right. I mean... There's no, I mean, the building of the dam is what brings them together. But like, why, uh, why, what is that? What is the purpose of the dam? It never does anything. Like if you want to bring them together over something, make sure that it's something that, that serves a purpose more. I would say, you know, just a a quick punch up would be again, you have the scene with the, the rock fight earlier on and have that be the thing that. Yeah, you know, exactly. really brings them together. That seems like the thing that would solidify a friendship more than anything. Yeah, not building building a dam for no reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's fun. I remember doing shit like that as a kid, going in the woods building forts, but like, and, and if you're, you know, writing a novel where you're wanting to bring people back to their childhood, great. You can really go into those things. But when you're talking about a movie... It's got to move faster. It's got to be quicker. Everything's got to, everything's needs to pay off. You don't, nobody wants all these like weird loose ends that don't go anywhere. Uh, Like we don't really explore the fact that the parents don't care. Like they they do care, but they know that something is going to happen. And when it starts happening, they're just like, well, you know, there's not anything we can do about it. Let's just try to keep our kids inside. Well, I think that's kind of a big message through a whole lot of the movie though, is that, you know, the kids are going through these things. The kids are going through these experiences where they're being abused and bullied and yeah. all kinds of other terrible things. And the people in, in the town of Derry are just literally turning a blind eye to it and acting like it's not happening. It's like the town, which is which is true of, of, of every town, you know, and it's really dark to even fucking talk about, but it's like... You always knew those kids in your school that you knew their, you know, yes. their, their parents were beating them and stuff like yeah. this. Or you knew that kid at church who, you know, yeah. his parents were alcoholics and stuff like this. But everybody just kind of doesn't talk about it because it's easier to do that. You know what yeah, I mean? That's actually, I mean, 
that's something, uh, well, this is dark, but uh, it is something we as a society are still really struggling with. I mean, we're finally at a point where we're really having uh, discussions about rape yeah. and, and what it means, but we still don't want to address the fact that a large portion of rape victims are children yeah. and, and kids in middle school. Oh, yeah. Like, we still want to deal with it as these are adults. Like, these are... And we, we always... I mean, we we have this disconnect because we don't refer often to the rape of a child as rape. We call it molestation. Like, we, right, give, it yeah. a, we give it a more... A word that's more clinical and more detached from what's really happening. Mm -hmm. So, like, we don't... We still don't want to think about the bad things that happen to children. So... Right. Yeah, I think that is, it, like, it should have been played up more, I think. Like, there should have been more of an element of, like, the kids discussing, like, why the parents don't think about it. I think it gets dismissed almost immediately with, why don't the parents think about this? And I think Bill says, like, because they don't believe in it anymore. And it's like, well, if that's the solution, then you guys should just stop believing in it. The end. Like, end yeah. of the movie. <laughs> Done. Like, if you know the solution is to not believe in it, then don't believe in it, and it's over. It's the Freddy Krueger solution. Yeah. Take back um, your power. Yeah, and I think it, it it's not, like, put out there. I, I think in the book this is more explored. I can't remember again. It's been a while. But, um... The, the idea that the kids are, are doing this not because, like, yes, the solution would be to just stop believing, but then other kids would still get killed by it. So I think the kids are making a conscious effort to be like, we're going to destroy this because the adults aren't going to do anything about it. Again, though, those aren't, like, we get everything put in explicit terms except that. Like, why don't, instead of, like, a line where somebody's like, this is Richie, he's a bit of a handful just be like so let's skip that line and just have a line where we're like the adults don't believe but kids are still getting killed we can save them right yeah 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 i know what you mean i, I like those scenes too where we do see that the adults are just completely out of touch with everything even the ones that are very 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 overt like when all the blood shoots out of the sink and the dad comes in and it's like he doesn't even see the blood yeah they, um, yeah there's a lot of scenes like that where the adults aren't seeing the thing that's right in front of them which you know again this is all about childhood it's all about puberty it's about that feeling of like you know adu adults don't get me i'm growing up i'm growing into an adult i'm i'm leaving behind childhood but i like i'm in between that's what they are they're this in between like they're not fully children they're dealing with with real adult situations, but also the adults aren't there for them, so they're kind of left to their own device, which is the premise of Stranger Things. Yeah. Anyway, like, it's a great premise. I like, too, though, that you see that it's not just the supernatural stuff that the adults turn a blind eye to, because, like, there's a scene later on where the two bully kids are, like, fucking with the girl. Yeah, they're, it seems like an attempted rape. Yeah. yeah. And the, like, yeah. the, the neighbor guy, who's like an older adult who totally could have managed the situation. He just, just like, walks back in his house. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I like that they show that it's not just the crazy supernatural stuff that the adults can't see. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, magical Santa Claus stuff that they can't witness anymore because they're old. It's like, no, they're literally turning a blind eye to like horrible stuff that they know is happening in their yeah. town. 
and I think too that like shame is a huge um a huge message throughout the movie in a lot of ways too. I mean obviously uh-huh. you know, obviously the town hiding its shame, but also too, I like that a lot of the things that it does to fuck with the adults psychologically is the same shit that perturbed them as kids, you know, like uh calling uh, John Ritter's character you know, fat and calling him a little pig and stuff like this, or uh-huh. making fun of um, the the limo service guy as being effeminate and you know gay and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like he keeps bringing up the stuff that they were ashamed of when they were kids to torment them psychologically as adults. I think that that's a really, really cool and a really powerful thing that's explored in the movie is that you carry those childhood shames with you no matter how old you get, they'll still affect you, you know? Yeah, if you don't address it. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what... Yeah, it's kind of what happens. Like, the kids beat it, but they don't They don't go the full length to make sure it's dead, so it comes back up in their adulthood, and and they have to, they have to address it. They have to overcome it. They have to finally face that fear and, and just see it destroyed. Um, yeah, and I like that message. I think that that's I think that yeah, that's really good. cool. I didn't expect to see that in here. I thought it was just literally about a evil clown or something, you know. <laughs> well, that that's what this movie is. Is uh, I I don't know if if anyone's ever defined this as a subgenre of horror, but boogeyman horror, mm-hmm. um, where what we learn what we know about the boogeyman uh if you if you watch this and or read the book and really get into it if you look at jk rowling's treat, treatment of the the boggart and like what that is and how it you know you have to learn to uh, face your deepest fear like the boogeyman is this malleable thing it changes between movies it changes between books etc uh, but it it's it represents the fear that is is within us that we can't express fully. We mm-hmm. can only, and I think when we just, you know, we were talking about our childhood fears, like the fear was the same. I'm sure between you and me, we're feeling the same type of fear. We're just picking something to be the focal point of that fear. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's what happens in this, like, you know, uh, it appears differently to the different kids. You know, it's uh, a werewolf to Seth Green. Uh, it's uh, a sink full of blood to Bev. Like, the, it has a different uh, expression for each child. But then finally, when they get down to the root of what it is, it's this actual, like, eldritch abomination, this Lovecraftian entity that it feeds off of their fear mm-hmm. and that's i think you know we you know if we take what stephen king is really getting at here is, is that we all have fear in us we're all afraid we we find new ways to express it you know maybe for some it's you know, grabbing tiki torches and, and hating other races God but damn what, it. yeah but what they're expressing is fear what yeah. they're expressing is fear and the it's not until we realize we we come to the full understanding of what it is we fear and that is death um that we realize that the things that we we say we fear the things that we're 
constantly attaching our fear to are not the things we're afraid of. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of, of, of we're no longer a child. You've grown up and all that's left for you is to die. Like yeah. there's no, there's no new, you know, transition beyond that. You're, you're adult until you die. Right. Yeah. And everything else is just sort of, um, an expression of that. Yeah. It's like, you're afraid of the end result, but you attach it to the thing that brings the end result. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that, that it does is it exploits the, uh, dead child. So mm. like the, as children, they're afraid to, to be dead children. But what it shows them, what it is constantly expressing through, uh, say, the voice of Georgie and stuff, it, it, we all float down here. Mm-hmm. Like, come down here, die as a child, it, all you will ha- have had is fun. You will have never had to confront death as an entity. You will just be dead. Mm-hmm. And you can float with us. We can be, you know, easy breezy, never having a, had to deal with adulthood. Well, and I'll tell you, too, like, the many forms of it throughout the movie is something that kind of surprised me, too, because, again, having only known of this movie, I thought that all that there was was, you know, uh, the clown character. But Uh whenever we see the other things, like the skeleton kind of creature that rises up out of the lake and then the weird kind of ghoulish, again, kind of skeleton zombie thing that's in the mansion and Uh um, the other forms that it takes... I thought that that was really pretty cool. I, I did not expect to see that, and it kind of did uh-huh. weird me out pretty well. And again, like, dude, to see this on a network TV show at that time period? Yeah, it's bold. It's fucking gruesome, dude. Yeah. That, that I mean, honestly, if um, I, I did a little research because I remembered that uh, there used to be a lot more horror miniseries on TV mm-hmm. and a lot of them were based off Stephen King work like Salem's Lot which is a great vampire movie that's true uh, yeah, that was. it was it was a miniseries uh, tons of ABC miniseries including uh, Rose Red or Red Rose or whatever it's yeah a, Rose Red yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, there's, there's just a bunch of them and just thinking back on them from you know childhood I remember thinking like this is interesting that this is on, like, you know, the same channel that I'm watching TGIF on, I can also see uh, Salem's, or, you know, some horrific sort of, uh, brighter, they were always a bit bright and a bit more like a TV show, but they're still dark. Well, either way, um, you know, stories that feature dead children. Yeah, that's fucking dark, so, like... And you could kind of expect to get away with that now, you know, in the time period where, like, whole families watch Walking Dead and stuff together. But it's like, dude, this is like 30 years ago. It was. It was like 30 years ago. That's insane. Yeah, so I thought that the content of the movie was was a lot darker uh, and a lot more, like, kind of shocking and and weird and disturbing. I really like the scene where, like, it's um, it's the bully kid that, like, ends up in the crazy house. Henry, yeah. And he's talking to it, which is like through the moon, like Uh-huh. Pennywise is the Pennywise is like the moon and it's like talking to him and telling him to like kill the guard and all this crazy shit. And then he appears as Belch. Yeah, Dead dude. Belch. We we have to talk cuz this um the baddies in this are seemingly based off of real life serial killers. Um 
obviously Pennywise the Clown would be a reference to John Wayne Gacy. Sure. Uh, but then we have characters like Henry, who seems very much to me like Henry Lee Lucas, uh, actual serial killer, and the the horror movie Henry is based off of Henry Lee Lucas. Oh. Uh, there is a character who's not in the miniseries, but is in the book, named Patrick Hoxtetter, who's who's going to be in the 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 newer version of mm-hmm. the movie, who is an obvious reference to Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh shit! Uh, he kills animals. He keeps them dead. They're like animal corpses in a refrigerator in his backyard. There's a scene in the book where Patrick Hoxtetter. Uh, starts jerking off Henry and then tries to give him a blowjob, which again is very much Dahmer-esque. Yowza. Um, so like, uh, Stephen King was, he was showing us th- that like <sighs> serial killer teenager, like what is the teenager who becomes a serial killer like? And, and Henry in this adaptation is just constantly telling everyone he's going to kill them. Like He's a little aggressive. He's very aggressive. <laughs> he's, he carries a switchblade, which as we know, means scum. Like, yeah, exactly. The he's classic. a dirt bag. Yeah. Um, so Henry, he may, to me, he makes sense, but what doesn't make sense to me is that the adults don't seem to really see it Mm -hmm. i i guess maybe i do i do get that people like henry lee lucas and jeffrey Dahmer slipped through the cracks but henry lee lucas was uh he he was more overt it seemed more clear that he was a serial killer the jeffrey Dahmer was just weird and an alcoholic in high school but not necessarily like oh he's gonna kill somebody but henry in this like there's no way that the adults don't think like, oh, that kid's going to kill somebody. Yeah. Like, he's constantly saying he's going to. Well, that kind of goes back to the, again, the adults just turning a blind eye about all of it too, though. I think that it's very possible yeah. that that fits into the hiding the shame sort of narrative through the whole thing. Do you think then that like it not only uh, haunts some of the kids, but also influences others? Like, like is because Henry is eventually like he's he's charged with all these murders and then put in an insane asylum like was the inspiration for his his uh desire to kill was it it was it speaking in his ear getting him to like you know attack these kids right or was it there already yeah yeah, that's, I'm a, interested. that's a good question. That that's one of those things I would, I would like to know more about. That might be in the book. I'm not sure, but so on the subject of it too, as far as the creature itself, like the the origins of Pennywise are not even really remotely explained in the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, as far as they're just like, oh, you know, every what was it? Every thirty something years or whatever. You know, something bad happens, and here's no. here's this clown appearing through all kinds of various documents and photographs and stuff throughout this town's history. But it's it's not really explicitly explained where he where he comes from, and I'm okay with that. I mean, like we've mentioned in other episodes, I'm very okay with a little ambiguity in a storyline, yeah. especially where a villain is concerned. So I don't really need a whole lot of backstory. But I did think the stuff where they were looking through like 
old documents from the town, and there's like a drawing of this spooky clown. Uh huh. I thought that was pretty corny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the um the scene where they're all looking at the picture book and then Pennywise, you know, starts talking to them. I think yeah, that's cool. cool. Um but yeah, there, there's some corniness. I think though like from what I remember of the book, like th- there is much more in depth about you know what this is. I mean, it's never fully divine, but it's it's like, you know, about what this is and and what's going on. I think not defining it can can really work and i imagine they'll probably not go too far into it in the new adaptation because again there's just it's it's distracting it can get distracting from the central story of what's going on with these kids and then what's going on with them as adults i think so too but but yeah i i like the ambiguity about what's going on and we don't know entirely i i think if they had done what I think would have been best where they do kids for the first part, adults for the second part, the second part could have gone more into what was actually going on. Instead of having, uh, like, we we get two versions for each of them of their backstory. We get their kid backstory, then we get their adult backstory, when we don't need that. All we need is the kid backstory plus story and then see them as adults and give us, you know an idea of where they're at and then move forward. We don't need more backstory at this point. Right. What we need now is for them to really investigate what was going on, to really dig in. Uh, but that's not how they do it. The second part is is clearly the weaker part. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't it doesn't add anything, I don't think. It's it's an hour and a half conclusion of the first part. Like instead of instead of them adding something, instead of them making it a good standalone part, they they just it's it's constantly concluding. It's constantly like there's no new thing happening except that Bill's girlfriend from England shows up and gets kidnapped by Pennywise. Yeah. Who now <laughs> apparently kidnaps people. I don't understand that. Yeah, but. that's yeah, that doesn't really match his motive, does it? Yeah, and also because Bill doesn't know that that happened at all, there's no real driving force. Like, they, they all come back to the town to defeat this thing because of a promise they made to each other as kids, but they don't even remember it. Like, for some reason, growing up made them completely forget what happened. Yeah, well, it's because they've, like, hidden their... Again, hidden uh-huh. their shame. Yeah, and again, that could be a good story, um... If we didn't see that progressing from the beginning, if they weren't intercutting past and and future together, we could have got the the development of them not remembering everything and things coming back to them slowly instead of what we did get, which is them suddenly being reminded by Mike and then, you know, at the bar or whatever it is, they all sort of just instantly remember it. <laughs> that's it that's it there's no development on the why did they forget what made them forget that's true that'll be interesting too to see i think in the remake is like how they make the grown-up storyline interesting um so i i really like honestly there's not much more to say about this yeah the one thing that i i already sort of addressed but want to really just fucking 
uh, make clear is that Richie and his comedy is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's and, not good. And and it's a real good representation of what happens when someone who doesn't fully know comedy tries to write comedy. Yeah, like, would, yeah, that's a very good way of saying it. Like if you if you look at th- what <laughs> adult Richie is saying on his set on that night uh, talk show, mm-hmm. uh, it's just he's he's basically just slapping words together. Like yeah. <laughs> there's no humor to it. He's no. like he's talking about uh, how much power the power company has, and then Nancy Reagan, and then oh also Godzilla. Oh, and here are my obviously terribly racist, even in 1990, uh, Asian eyeglasses. Like, like, what? first off, what is the joke? What is his joke? I don't get any of it. It's not a joke. All you're doing is saying words fast. Yeah. Now, I do terrible. know, I do know in the 80s and 90s, because of that stand-up boom, that a lot of bad stand-up came out of it. But, like, we're to understand that he's popular. Like, he's good at it. He has a Beverly Hills mansion. Yeah. And he, <laughs> Clearly, he has fans. Yeah, he's our expression of what a good comic is. It's fucking terrible. Well, you know, before we before we kind of give our final thoughts, let me just ask you about one really critical make-or-break element of this movie. I've just got to ask you about, what do you think about the ending and the whole spider thing? <laughs> um... I like that it was a, a spider. It's not even a spider. It's like a spider-like creature. Yeah, it's like, like a weird yeah. crab alien yeah. thing. I like that kind of because I, I like I like that it it makes everything still mysterious. Like everything's still like I don't know what happened there. Yeah. Like oh, um, but I I think do you, have you read anything about how the book uh really deals with the ending? No. All right, Ben. Well, let me reveal something to you that's hopefully going to make you uncomfortable. Um, In the book, basically, because everything's sort of wrapped all together, the ending, the the kind of denouement, the the falling action of this is that 11-year-old Bev tells the boys that they all have to have sex with her. Okay, I remember reading that somewhere. That, yeah. yeah, they've all they've all had sex together or something. So yeah, but at eleven, at eleven, she has sex with six eleven-year-old boys. Mm. Uh, it's real uncomfortable too mm-hmm. because Scotty doesn't want to. Yeah. So what we're seeing is an eleven-year-old girl raping an eleven-year-old boy. Not good. Uh, yeah, and that this is supposed and and like. I looked this up. I I won't defend it. I don't think there's a defense of it. I don't think it's good. I think it's stupid. I don't think it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people defend it. Like, well, it's symbolic of them, like you know, making a pact to, uh, you know, always remember what happened in this part of their childhood, and it it, it symbolizes them growing into adults. No, it doesn't. It's six eleven-year-old boys having sex with an eleven-year-old girl. And some of them not wanting to do it, and then still being coerced into doing it. Yeah. It's 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 not sick. Cool. It's gross. It's not cool. I it doesn't it doesn't play out well. I mean, like as I talked about earlier, the Patrick Hockstetter thing, where he like starts giving uh, Henry a hand job and then tries to give him a blowjob, and then Henry like you know violently reacts against it. 
that's fine that's that's right with me like with me that makes sense these are two psychopaths these yeah. are and and um you know pa- patrick is gay he's a gay character but he also doesn't he doesn't have empathy he's mm. he's a psychopath so he he he'll just go for it that scene makes sense to me but a scene where six 11 year old boys have sex with an 11 year old girl in a, in a sewer it's Ugh. just disgusting it's yeah. disgusting Ugh. it's real gross and no matter like how you try to d- explain that symbolism it it doesn't work for me so how does that wrap into the ending with the big alien thing so yeah the with the big alien thing now that's the ending the ending is they they kill it i can see why stephen king wanted a different ending i can see why he wanted to wrap it up with like a flashback to the kids and maybe having like some good symbolic ending because this doesn't have that it's not a like the ending is just they beat the spider thing and (laughs) i mean it's comical when they're all just like kicking it and stuff like yeah and then like it gets like weirdly savage when they start like ripping its organs out yeah. and shit yeah it does it get yeah it gets weird yeah <laughs> it's cool but it does it's just not it's not satisfying in the end especially because they then tack on the part about bill's wife being in a coma and and then him riding with her on the bike to revive her yeah that was totally totally tacked on although like man that whole it part, did happen in the book <laughs> that whole part man where he puts her on the bike and he's like racing her down the street to like try to wake her up uh-huh i was on the edge of my seat hoping that they just like ran out in front of a bus and got hit and i would have been like this was worth yeah watching this that's a good en- it would have been a the much best. better ending yeah the that sp- is a much better ending the whole spider thing really took me out of it i was really I was really on board with a lot of the movie. I thought that the pacing towards the end was really nice and stuff too. I was totally on it, but when this like Ray Harryhausen like stop motion, <laughs> you know, armature yeah. crab spider thing shows up, <laughs> it really did take me out of it. Like I think it just it would have played a lot better given their technology and special effects they had access to back then. It really would have played a lot better if they just had to fight pennywise you know and and maybe he had i don't i don't know super strength or whatever and he could put up a good fight against them i just think that would have played much better than this random arachnid thing which we have no emotional connection to as a viewer whatsoever it's just so random yeah and it's like i i understand that like you know what we're seeing as as Pennywise the clown is like that's just a projection of itself to make itself into something that the kids can relate to or be scared of or be lured into or whatever. I understand that it wasn't literally a clown that they were fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him change shapes numerous times throughout the movie and even do weird morphic stuff like when he like morphed out of that that pipe in the in the shower floor uh-huh. and stuff, which it's I thought cool was scene. yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I understand that, you know, he wasn't literally a clown the whole time, so they could have been fighting anything at the very end. But yeah, the the big arachnid thing really did not work for me. It really took the wind out of my sails quite a bit whenever it got there. Yeah, I think maybe if if we had seen it earlier, if we had seen it in the first part, like if yeah. when they had gone there, like down into the sewer, if there had been a bunch of like spider webs and stuff, and then like, 
we yep. see Pennywise, but then it turns into that spider, and that's what they defeat. And then later that they come back to it, and it's like, well, yeah, in the first part that would have been a bit jolting, but it also would have then we could have explored it. We could exactly. make it make more sense. Yeah, this is just like you changed villains at the end because the thing is, is the <laughs> the big crab thing. It, it isn't even it isn't even verbal. Like it doesn't even talk. It's just like it is just some random beast that you have no connection to as a viewer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. I I think I I did like it because I I again they just don't go into the Lovecraftian element in this that really made it I think good for me when I read it as a middle schooler where it was just like there's this entity from a, you know an extra dimensional being that that can shape shift and things but it has this like alien form to it yeah that that's all real cool but yeah when you think of it in relation to what happens in the miniseries it just comes out of nowhere and yeah. and yeah you don't even i mean you don't even know to hate it like you look at it and it's like well i'm like this might be a good guy we like we didn't see pennywise turn into it yeah it's just there yeah <laughs> that no see that would have been awesome is like if he was like, no, I'm the defender from the other galaxy. Come to help you defeat no! it. Oh, no. Not silver, my only weakness. Yeah. <laughs> All that was pretty corny, too, by the way. Yes. Yeah, belief is, belief, like, I get that. And this is exactly what I think is going on in Stephen King's head, is that he sees, he's seeing the challenges of why it is that this creature is doing what it's doing and etc and so he falls back on belief he falls back on belief so that it's like well i don't have to explain it it's all about belief yeah like if you believe in it it exists and it can hurt you but you can also believe enough to hurt it back like he he just falls back on that and there's uh, there's not a lot to get from that belief belief is the more you explore belief, the emptier it really is. Like, we, we, we need belief, I guess, in some ways. Like, we have to believe that when we step forward, we're not going to fall off the earth. Like, all of those things, we have, like, in our mind, there's proof of it, but, like, you still, ha you still have to, like, take the plunge. Mm. You still have to believe in certain things. But it, it is empty. There's nothing to it. And so to, to hinge your entire 1200 page book on on belief it it then ends up ringing pretty hollow and doesn't have as much impact as as it could i think so man i think so well overall what are your final thoughts about this and what do you give this this flick here on a scale of a one to a ten mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna divorce it from what i know about the book because i do like sure. the book and and i think people should read it you know you'll like it um it's not good it's not a good movie it's not well acted it's not well written it's not well directed it's, it's not good there are elements that i like those are elements that just come from the book i like them because i know more about them there's certainly tim curry uh, who's great in it mm. he makes the movie uh every scene with tim curry i would give a, a high rating but every other scene and and the entire story itself is it's bad. It's not good. I think the 
uh, dialogue is so terribly stilted and it makes no sense most of the time. It really is just exposition and you don't need it. I, I can't, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead and say if you're, if you have the choice when you're coming, you're thinking of watching a movie about killer clowns. I say killer clowns from outer space is better than this. Oh, damn. Yeah. It's killer clowns from outer space. Go with Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, and maybe this new adaptation will be good. Maybe, you know, that's the way to go. But I gave Killer Clowns from Outer Space a four. So uh, this isn't much worse. I'm going to say this is a three and a half out of ten. Wow, three and a half out of ten. That's that's definitely low. You know, it was, t- to me, this was so much better than my, my expectations of it. Because, it, again, I was just thinking this is going to be some shitty TV series. So I expect it to be... I mean, just an absolute pile of shit. So whenever we started it, and I was like, wow, this is actually kind of gruesome. He's, like, killing kids, and they're talking about it. And there's some mm-hmm. there's some cool scenes in there, like with the head in the refrigerator. And I like yeah. the, the Chinese restaurant scene where there's all the weird shit and the fortune cookies in front of him. Oh, yeah, the eye and stuff. That was That was cool. And the little, like, weird dead, like, bird, like, fetal uh-huh. bird thing is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there were some really cool moments in there that I didn't expect and some iconic visuals that I wasn't really anticipating either. I like that scene where, like, the one kid whose father was, like, in the military, he's, like, out there waving out in front of the, the septic treatment place, and mm-hmm. he's like, I live here now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought that was fucking weird, man. Almost it, kinda, was. it was kind of David Lynchy, which I was not expecting. Um, I thought there was a lot of things in here that really did surprise me in terms of how dark and how gruesome a lot of them were. Um, I do like a lot of the elements in the story about, like I said, hiding shame and the town hiding the abuse of these kids and stuff like that and just acting like it's not going on. I think that's a pretty pretty powerful message to hinge a horror story on. Um, some questionable, Some questionable acting, some way more questionable dialogue. There's a lot of those things that I can just see you know, Stephen King getting really excited to include line for line some things that were in the book that just do not fly when they're on the screen, you know? Yeah. My my favorite instance of that, just real quick, is when uh, Ben and Bill meet, and Bill says, you're Ben. And Bill's, Ben says, yeah, and you're Bill. <laughs> Nailed anyway. it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so there, there's definitely some questionable stuff. And like I said, there's there's a lot of moments in the movie where... I'll be totally knee-deep in this thing, and it's really got me, and then just something stupid happens. Like I said, that scene where the kid goes in the the old dilapidated mansion, Mm -hmm. and the crazy skeleton's coming down the stairs, I thought that was badass, and then he starts doing that. Yeah, it was, and then he starts doing that, the Scout's Pledge thing, and it really just pulled me right out of the movie. (laughs) Same with the ending with the big crab. Again, Ray Harryhausen, like, fucking Clash of the Titans creature at the end. (laughs) Um, I thought that really, really did just pull me out of the movie. So it's definitely got its problems. Um, to me on first watching, you know, again, given my very low expectations for it and stuff, I think I would probably rock it about like, um, probably like a six, six out of 10. Um, just cause it was so much better than I was expecting. And I really did like Tim Curry and he just crushed it. Yeah. But but it's the kind of thing that, you know, knowing knowing where my expectation is about it now, probably if I went back and watched it again, I wonder how I'd feel about it. So 
this is one of those ones that maybe as as the Halloween season approaches, maybe I'll watch it again some night, and I'll report back on a later episode and been like, yeah, it's really more like a three. But as or, of now, I think I'm gonna go. Maybe with a it'll six. be a ten. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's like yeah, maybe it'll be better than than what I remembered or something. So yeah. But as of now, I'm gonna go with about a, about a six on that one. So I guess I must have liked it quite a lot more than you. You did, you did. But I. Yeah, again, I don't know. I don't know how much I am divorcing it from my knowledge of the book and whatnot. And also, uh, <laughs> you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is obviously based off of it because uh, it is from outer space and appears as a killer clown. But it's more fun. I did say, though, when we watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space, that it would be so much better if our protagonists were kids. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's like, you know... It it is almost that fun killer clowns from outer space that I want, but it's not like they they all they needed to add fun to it or make it more serious. Like you can't have this namby pamby in in between where the kids are always having fun and then some dark as shit happens and the two never sort of merge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel you, man. I feel you. Well, on our next episode of Dead and lovely we're gonna be covering ourselves a good old flick what are we gonna watch next week steve we're gonna watch nightmare on elm street a part two part two i'm so excited uh, about it because i like this movie and the first time that i watched it i was just really confused about it uh-huh but other subsequent watches have revealed to me it's actually it's actually one of my favorites in the series so i really look forward to talking about that there's a lot of I don't even want to call it subtext because it's not subtext. It is on no, front street. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just text, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nightmare on front street. Yeah, exactly. So I look forward to, to covering that with you. Well, in the meantime, uh, I would really appreciate it if you dead and lovely listeners would go on iTunes and write us a short review with a good writing. That would really help us out a ton. Help us show up in those uh, feeds and... Uh, uh, search engines and stuff like that a whole lot better so please do go on itunes and rate this podcast even if it's just a short little thing just be sure to keep it g-rated otherwise they will not post it and it doesn't count so please go in there and write us a short review by g-rated we don't mean warren g-rated all right <laughs> okay <laughs> regulate Maybe yeah. just write us a write us a review that just says Ben and Steve regulate. Yeah, or if it just says regulators mount up. That's fine. That'd be totally yeah. fine. As long as it's a five star review. If you give us a one star review that says that, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, come on. How dare you desecrate the great words of Warren G like that? <laughs> um, they can also find us. Obviously, listeners, you can find us on Instagram. Um, I'm I'm on there like it ain't no thing. Uh, Twitter, I'm, uh, it is a thing, but <laughs> I'll tweet sometimes and you can find us at dead lovely pod on both Twitter and Instagram. We also have a Facebook group, uh, dead and lovely Facebook group. We can be emailed at dead and lovely pod at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And you can find me at Steven Spratling on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you guys can find me at Ben Eller Guitars on Instagram and the Twitter. Uh, and you guys can also find my YouTube guitar lesson page on youtube.com slash Ben Eller Guitars. 
Uh, in the meantime, we will be catching up with you guys next week, talking about all Freddy Krueger again. Uh, if you guys want to get prepped up for that one, be sure to listen to our original Nightmare on Elm Street episode that we put up a couple weeks ago. So we will catch you guys then. Thank you guys again so much for listening. You guys have been absolutely delightful. And we've been dead and lovely. We all float down here. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.